Hello and welcome to The Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a film and we talk about it, we review it and say what we think about it. Uh, and as always, we end the show with our recommendations um, for further reading inspired by this week's film. But before we kick off, a quick catch up on what else we've been watching. So, Rob? Sadly, I have very little to report this week since our last record. We've been watching more Parks and Rec, been watching more House of Cards... I've also actually uh, this is not a recommendation I suppose but we all think we enjoy we've been watching a show called Scandal which comes from the stable of Shonda Rhimes in America who produced things like Gateway of Murder um, and she did some Great Anatomy I believe but she's like a, a, a sort of a showrunner in America who produces lots and lots of different TV right. this is kind it's not it's in the same vein as House of Cards but if you took House of Cards and you just smashed it up with like a the bold and beautiful super bra. <laughs> right, okay. Everyone has killed somebody. And everybody has a secret love affair and everybody is you know, someone's screwing somebody and you know, actually that person's really running the FBI, you know, that kind it of thing. Sounds terrible. It's in a good way. It's the probably <laughs> the most manipulative T V show I've ever seen in my life. Like in one episode, it's 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 Dan Brown in a TV show. Right. Every film, every epi- every episode ends with a cliffhanger, and the characters are, are likable enough that you'll stick with them. Right. But it is very much like, oh my god! But also, she's still alive, kind of thing. It's very very like that. Right. So season season four, season five has come back. Episode one this week, and yeah, someone's been shot, and they think someone else did it, and they think the vice president of America organised the killing. And it's all very, you know, high drama. Right. But it's a lot of fun. Oh, good. What about you, Sam? Well, my week's been quite free from films as well, sadly. All we've been watching this, this week really is reruns of Modern Family, which I have a feeling I've talked about here before because that tends to be what I watch when I don't watch much else. And it's just so watchable and warm and funny and not in a harsh way. Mm. And I saw... I just want to talk briefly about an episode... We're on to season six at the moment, maybe. Um, there's an episode called Connection Lost, which has the mother on FaceTime on her iMac in an airport. And it's the series of conversations she has with members of her family. And it's very well observed... And the narrative is good, but also it does some really clever things with media in a way that was vibrant and new in 2013, 14, whenever the the episode came out. So it uses FaceTime and it uses uh, her looking at Word documents on, on a Mac in an interesting way and she has conversations with people and she sends eye messages and it's just it's nice to see a comedy that's not something like I would give Brooklyn Nine-Nine as an example and that's a bad one because I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine but it's sort of a steady camera single camera shot and Mm -hmm. the the funny comes from the really sharp script in Brooklyn Nine-Nine but in one family, it's as well as a sharp script. It's doing interesting things with the form. Okay, I must say I've never seen it, but I shall. It, it, it's on that long list of things <laughs> okay. I should watch at some point. Right. Um, cool. 
Well, should we should we dive into this week's film? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, should I do the introduction? Is it my turn this week or your turn? Uh, it's my turn this week. I will uh, tell okay. people about Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. to make an announcement. Hogwarts Castle will not only be your home this year, but home to some very special guests as well. Please welcome our friends from the north, the proud sons of Domstrang. And now, the lovely ladies of Bo Battens. So, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire is a 2005 film. It's the fourth film in the franchise. Again, based on Rowling's book of the same name. It focuses on and sort of revolves around something called the Triwizard Tournament, which involves three wizards, or one from each of three schools, of which Hogwarts is one. And at this point, this is once again a blanket spoiler warning, because... I think even something as innocuous as I'm about to say is a spoiler. So, if you haven't seen it, then don't listen on. But to this list of three wizards, one from each tournament, all wizards over the age of 17, that's the age of seniority, is added Harry. And the competition is between the four wizards. Um, Harry included in that, so it's Harry, Cedric Degree, also from Hogwarts, Victor Crumb, who is a former visiting school, um, is Bulgarian, and um, Fleur de Cor, I believe, is that her name? Yes. Yes, who's yep. um, from a visiting girls' school. And um, there are two main strands of the narrative. One revolves around... Um, the son of a prominent individual is called Barty Crouch. His son is Barty Crouch Jr., played brilliantly by David Tennant. And the other main narrative is Harry's involvement in this Triwizard tournament. And there's the customary new Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher, and Ron is slapstick relief as usual. And that's about it. So, Rob, what are your thoughts on this? I am. A, I do enjoy Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire is probably one of my top two of, of the Potter films. Mm-hmm. If not, top, top two, top three. I think that, and we'll touch more on this later once we dive into some of the themes and ideas in the film, but it's, just, it's the point where it starts to shift towards being definitely YA as a genre, maybe even kind of adult films, away from making more, more kiddie films of the first, of the first three. Mm. I think that... It's strange looking back. Cause like, the first thing that hit me watching this film, honestly, it was like, they've all got terrible haircuts. <laughs> and I kept thinking it during that time. When I saw anyone, like, that's a terrible haircut. And it, like, it dates itself a little bit to the early, early 2000s. Mm. But I think the film does build on the great work, as we discussed last week, done um, with The Prison of Azkaban, which took it into a darker place. Um, and this obviously sort of doubled down on that a little bit with some of the things that happen. I think, as you say, Ron, and we won't get into discussion of, of book characters versus film characters, but Ron sort of comes into his own little bit here as um, as the comic relief character. And you feel that the three main three main tentpoles of the film, Harry, Ron and Hermione, have kind of found their way into the roles a little bit. Mm. They're kind of working out how the interactions go. And you start to see sort of the seeds that are 
being sewn for the uh, the rest of the the franchise. Um, I think you, in your brief introduction, the OF oversaw one sort of thread running through it, which is, I suppose, the burgeoning adolescence of our characters and the love triangles therein. Right. Um, you get the appearance of Cho Chang, um, who's clearly a uh, a bow for um, Harry, and you have a, the, the winter ball scene in which Crumb goes with uh, Hermione and the uh, Ronan. Ron and Harry end up going with the Pavati twins, much to their dismay and eventual abandonment at the um, at the ball. So I think that, that there's you start to reach into this kind of relationship phase of the film, in which we, we're stepping away from boys' own adventure, in which they're overcoming obstacles, in which they are more, I suppose, actors in their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. As I think that response is a surprise to absolutely nobody in terms of me liking this film <laughs> Sam what did you think of this film I, I really enjoy this and um, this will in in my Harry Potter watching this this is my favourite film but that doesn't say as much as it does when you say it um, I prefer this to the first three and I mean last week I talked about sort of revisiting three and finding three better the second time um, but it still wasn't as fun as for I, I did really enjoy this film. And part of it is well part part of it is to do with the sort of the the Hunger Games type narrative of um sporting adventure that you have with the Tribes Tournament, which I've always enjoyed. And part of it is exactly what you said, that the actors feel like they've grown into these roles. Um, the first thing I wrote down about this is this is the first film that is genuinely good. Now, I, as I said, I've revisited the third and, and revised my opinion of that, but it feels like The Goblet of Fire, this is the first film where the actors, the three actors, the principals, are leading the film, whereas before it felt very much like they were being put into position by Chris Columbus or by Alfonso Cuarón and told to do mm. certain things. This this time it felt felt like they had more agency. So they, they'd grown in maturity and they, they it felt like they were carrying the film. Not in, a, not in a, a terrible way, not in a sort of the film is awful apart from being carried by them, but it just felt in an organic way. It just felt like they were... They'd taken the, the story more on their shoulders, as it were. So I, I did really enjoy this film. Good, good. A couple of things. One thing I forgot to say last week, and I do do want to say, because I I forgot just how much I enjoyed this. The, the narrative of Scabbers as Ron's rat becoming Peter Pettigrew is just the most brilliant slow burn reveal in I think in, in cinema history it's it's sort of well not in cinema history in literary history she's just she's prepared to sit on this for the best part of three books and then suddenly it, it becomes apparent. So that that's really yeah. I really enjoy that. Um and the other thing is and it goes into this this relationships um, phase that you were talking about. I know I'm not the first person to say this at all and there are fan theories, and, and I know enough about this to know that other people think this, but I can't understand why Ron and Hermione get together. As is clear they're going to do, 
by the end of this film, it's clear that there's something going on there, and it's clear that Harry has interest in other women and not Hermione. And we we see later on Harry developing a relationship with Ron's sister, and that could never work. Ron would never go out with the sister, but it seems like the prominent relationship is always Harry and Hermione, and it really annoys me. And I know it annoys okay. other people, but there, there we go. It's I'm not not pretending to be original, but that, that's my observation about this. That's the one one relationship that I wanted. I, I, I see. I'm I'm all on board with Ron and Hermione. Okay. Um, so that's the something to discuss. That's maybe in our last in our last film, possibly. Yes. Who yeah. knows? Um, yeah, I think I would, I would agree. Don't you said that? I think that we've both touched on it a little bit there, but this film feels like it's a transition and that was the film the word that really stuck with me watching a lot of this film through back was the transitional elements of this film that we have moved into adolescence with our characters and we are leaving behind as fun as the first three films were we are leaving behind elements of that Mm. and I think and this is going to slam massively into spoiler world so heads up listeners it's the point at which also the franchise changes. Up until this point, Voldemort has been kind of a a background threat, the lurking monster under the bed a little bit. Mm. And whilst we saw elements of them in Quirrell and other parts of the um, franchise, this is the film in which Voldemort comes back. Voldemort now is a physical presence to be fought with um, and, and lost in this film. And I think that that, I mean, it's it, it notable that this is a, you know, it's a seven books, seven part book series, and this is the middle book. This is this is book four. Mm. So this is this is the middle point at which the film, the book series, and particularly the film series, transitions into being a very different kind of series. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's the sort of the theme that's done to me certainly with transition. Mm. I think it's and it's that. You you mentioned adolescence there, the transition inherent in adolescence and the realisation, I, I don't know, the, the realisation that not everything is going to be alright. There was a sense in the first three films that they were children's films or maybe straying into YA territory at times, but you would always have a resolution with Harry flying off on a broomstick and everything was going to be alright or you had the kids going off on the train. It it was just it was just nice and warm and, and fuzzy. And here, some something I've I've written down and, and highlighted that came to mind right at the end is the idea of loss. And even when you feel like Harry has won, that he's won the Triwizard Tournament, you know that he's lost because you know Cedric Diggory's died and you know that Harry's realised that he's got to he's going to have to fight Voldemort and it's not certain that he's going to win and this this film did feel like it was well you said like a transition to adulthood a realisation that not everything is going to have a happy ending mm. yeah I, I think that you know we have the first real death in the series, obviously there have been deaths elsewhere, but this is the first time we really someone dies. Like you know, the big strapping hero who could have won the games if he wanted to, and everyone adored, dies, yeah. and he dies 
alone in a sad way and it isn't a hero's death it isn't a you know a glory filled death it's just a death and i think that's very powerful in a kids film hmm. well that that's the thing that and that's something that that i remarked on that and it gets told afterwards is that he gets killed by Voldemort and there's something kind of a little bit heroic about that there's a little bit mm. oh he died defeating or trying to defeat the baddie um, but actually he was just killed by Peter Pettigrew and it was just it was just sad the way he died like you said it didn't really mean anything he was just offed by a henchman and he lay in the mud and the rain and there was something when when Dumbledore tries to present him as having died at Voldemort's hand at the end, there was a sense that that Dumbledore was trying to trying to give something of a of a heroic nature to what Diggory did because actually, like you said, it was it was just sad. But I think that that's that's this transitional mm. element coming in. And I think that the, the, there is, there is, I think there's elements of that sprinkled throughout. Um, and I think that they, they, they I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay my my sword in the sand and say that this is an intentional part of this film and this story because you've got elements of transition and transformation and change all throughout the film. You've got uh, Mabai Mooney, you mentioned earlier, who's the new dark arts teacher, mm. who's clearly been through some things. Um, having missing a leg and an arm and an eye, and various scars, and is revealed to be a polyjuice potion affected Barty Crouch, and so there's a change element there, and surviving all of the tasks require change. Yes, um, they require you know growing gills or gillybills or feet or becoming a shark. Um, all these kind of things, all these elements throughout the film of change of how. The, the elements of transformation change are, are there throughout. Mm. And even the first task, right at the beginning, Harry only succeeds in because he is prepared to change how he views the problem. Mm. And so he says, well, I can't use a wand. What's this about? And then he thinks about it from another perspective with the help of an outsider. But you're right, there's there's something, even in that what looks like a fairly simple duel with a dragon, There there is a change aspect to it. Mm. And I think that, that, that's something hard to do. And also you've got this opposed to change in expectations. And you have this, you know, right, the film opens with this, what I suppose I would say was a flashback, um, in which you see a a kindly gardener who stumbles upon Barty and Peter Pettigrew and the snake in an old house. And you know this is a flashback because of the, the, the cinema language that is used. You know, you've got, it's kind of washed out, it's kind of silvery, it's a bit blurry, it's very soft focus. Mm. Like, we are, being, we are being told by the nature of the film, flashback. Not real time, as it were. This is then revealed to be a dream of Harry's. Um, this is then revealed to not be a dream of Harry's, but a vision of Harry's, of Voldemort. Mm. Um, and there's this element where like, the film plays the reputations of what going to happen and what things are. 
Um, and, you know, all, Madame Moody is a great idea. Ma- Madame Moody, throughout the film, you are built up to think this is this is the hero. This is Harry's hero who's going to look after him and support him. And he, he's the wise old mentor. He's the grizzled mentor who is looking after Harry and helping him through. Mm. And then it turns out that whilst that is kind of true... The only reason that's true is it's really badly caught trying to, to make sure he wins so that Voldemort can kill him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that the, the, the film repeats this idea of of, tra- of transition, of moving between one state and another over and over again. Mm. And one of the... I mean, you, you talk about this as sort of the, the, the hump in the bridge, sort of the fourth book out of seven. It's the middle of the series. And one of the ways in which this is different, and this shows that it's 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 kind of a, a bridging point, a, a place of transition, is the fact that this is the first film that doesn't start in the same way as the others. This mm-hmm. doesn't start on Private Drive, and you have I don't know. There's something comforting about that opening shot of Private Drive, even though you know that it's not a comforting place. Even though we talked about home a couple of weeks ago, you know this home is not Harry's home. There's still something that's cinematically reassuring about, oh yeah, we've been here before, we know how films like this start. Mm. And there's suddenly, with this film, this this movement, this transition somewhere else, you have thrown into this, it, like you say, this, this flashback slash dream slash vision, you don't know what it is until the end. But this is deeply unsettling that it starts in a completely different way mm. I, 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 I entirely agree so Sam yes do you have some recommendations for us I do and neither of them are thematic this week um, so my two recommendations um, one relatively recent actually and I love David Tennant. I think he's really good and you don't see much of him in this film because of him being Brendan Gleeson for most of it. Um, But something he's really good in is the recent Marvel Jessica Jones series and I would heartily recommend that. I would say watch that before you watch One Family and also it's watchable in in a a 12-hour stint. Um... You say that, I have a small baby. Yeah. If I get two episodes a day, I'm pretty good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> my second is a link to the director of this. Now, we had two films, Chris Columbus, then one film, Alfonso Cuaron, was talked about um, his back catalogue last week. And the director of this film, Mike Newell, has done various other things, and probably most famously, um, Four Weddings and Funeral. But what I'm going to talk about, what I would like to recommend, is a film that didn't get much critical love at the time, and people didn't think much of it in general, but I I quite enjoy it, and it might be just the people involved. I think the two leads are very watchable, and it is the 1999 film Pushing Tin. Damn you. <laughs> Carry on, I'll find nothing else to recommend. <laughs> um, but, oh, that's just, that's good. Also, I wasn't going to recommend that, and then at the last minute I decided to go that rather than not on. So, uh, okay, yeah. okay. Uh, <laughs> Pushing, Pushington is the story of uh, 
John Cusack as a sort of a, a renegade air traffic controller and his sort of duel, his feud with Billy Bob Thornton's character. And as I said, it didn't get much critical love at the time. It's not seen as a classic film, but it's well worth watching. So what what have you come up with in the 20 seconds so, since you discovered <laughs> I'm I'm still on that one. Okay. So my first, um, actually no, uh, my first recommendation is going to be a thematic one, um, and that is I'm going to recommend. I'm sure I've recommended this several times before. The 1993 film from Rachel Glazer, Dazed and Confused. Uh, it tells the story of the last day of school of a local high school about the freshmen and sophomores and the seniors who go off and their last day and what it means to them, the first day of summer and all that kind of thing. It is very watchable, mainly due to some amazing casting, particularly you've got an early Matthew McConaughey, uh, a very watchable Jason London, a very memorable um, Ben Affleck, but great support from thousands of actors you'd recommend, you'd, you'd know from everywhere, basically. It's full of people who you kind of, oh yeah, them. But it is, it's kind of, it's easygoing, it's, Relax, but it's also about becoming who you're going to be. It's about stepping up for how, what it's like to go from being, you know, in middle school to high school, but going from a from a senior to graduation, and what all these stages mean. Um, so it's a very different film, obviously, to Harry Potter, but it also is a very good one. My second recommendation, which I just pulled out of the bag, um, is a film from 2015 called The Childhood of a Leader. I mentioned this last year in our end-of-year wrap-up. Um, this stars Robert Pattinson, who obviously plays Cedric Diggory. Um, and it is about the young life of a, a leader of a country. I won't say much more than that for fear of spoiling it. Um, but it's very slow and methodical, but very, very watchable. Um, it has got very little critical love. It, I mean, people just haven't heard of it. But it is it is very very good, so yeah. If you if you get onto that from Bradley Corbett, the child of the leader. Great. Um, to get in touch, I'm aware there wasn't there was a, all that much disagreement in this week's episode, which which is a shame. I do love a good disagreement, so do get in touch to offer contrasting opinions. Um, you can find us both on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. You can find me at Rob Kudju. And you find just me at life underscore academic. And we'll see you back here next week. The Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr! Arg.